Hi, I'm Henry Burrell from Tech Advisor, and this is Don Preston. Hi. And this is episode three of Digital Defenders, our series about how to stay safe online. And today we are joined by guest Gareth Lockwood from Norton. Gents, nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice uh, to be here as well. And Gareth is an industry authority, so we are in safe hands. Uh, so we're going to have a bit of a roundup chat. Um, in discussions just before this video, we were corrected on the kind of terms we were using, which is excellent. Hopefully you'll learn too. Uh, so we're going to start off and talk about antivirus. Lots of different words float around to do with that. Uh, how do you stay safe on your computers, your phones and everything like that? So I just wanted to say, Gareth, antivirus, is it even the right term? Uh, that's a very salient point. Um, so, you know, antivirus is a term that people still use today, right? But it's probably 10 years out of date, I would say. Okay. So, you know, we think about antivirus as, you know, a file comes into the system, you compare it against a library of virus definitions and decide whether it's good or bad. Okay. But now, the bad guys out there today are so much more sophisticated than that. You know, they, they have polymorphic viruses that change as you go through as they go through the system you need a lot more protection than just you know a static um, comparison and that's what we do and a lot of the um, AV companies out there and security companies is you know they have layer upon layer upon layer of protection beyond just um, you know comparison to a, a virus definition library it gets you know almost like a cat and mouse game you have to be yeah. as sophisticated yeah. if not more Right. I mean, cause it's something we're going to get to a little bit later, but mm. often we'll actually see these products described as now online as a security suite mm. or something like that, suggesting that antivirus is maybe the cornerstone of it, but it's just it's just a part, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we, we classify it as digital safety. Right. So, you know, as we are you know progressing, we're so used to having, you know, a tablet or a smartphone and, you know, all the, the Internet of Things type devices at home, you know, the ways we connect are just so far removed from, you know, the, the 80s and 90s of having a, you know, a beige box sat under the desk yes. with, uh, with windows on it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the bad guys are the same. They look to where they can monetize the best. You know, in historically, it used to be they're in it for infamy and, you know, mm -hmm. they want the names to be out there, whereas now it's what can they do to make a quick buck here or there. Right. Um, it's really about monetizing, which is why you'll hear terms of ransomware. You know, it sounds pretty scary. It does, Like yeah. out of a film. Yep. But um, that's where they go. It's a, it's an easy way to make money. So is ransomware a kind of example? I know you were sort of saying perhaps that it's less common these days, mm. but when you get like a database hack or something. Ra ransomware has been in the press um, a lot over the past couple of years. You know, you may have heard of things like WannaCry or, mm -hmm. or, yeah. or Petya, certainly in the UK, you know, where some big public sector organizations were impacted. And that's really, um, you know, the, 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 the bad actors out there trying to um, you know, make a quick book. They just shotgun approach, impact as many systems as possible. Um, you know, they're probably only going to get a couple of percent of responses actually paying that ransom. Yeah, but it's it's worth it for them. And they said they're trying to keep under the radar, stay pretty, you know, pretty anonymous. Yep. And, and then, you know, with the the introduction of Bitcoin, you know, Ethereum and these cryptocurrencies, it makes it very easy for those guys to stay under the radar. Right. So as a consumer uh, getting hit by ransomware or being worried about ransomware, what are we talking about? Basically, that it's that kind of thing where you get a message saying, you know, if you don't pay up, whatever, I'll delete all your files. Exactly. And and some of them are, you know, we, we talk about it sounding like something out of the movies. Yeah. And there are some very, um, you know, famous ransomware variants um, that take their, um, their their MO from the movies. So there's one based on the Saw films, for instance, where oh, yeah. it, it pops up the, um, the, the clown face Jigsaw. and right, says, we're going to play a game. Yeah. I'm going to delete some files every hour or every 24 hours right. yeah. until you pay the ransom so right. it kind of puts that extra pressure on you and how often are they legitimately able to do what they say or is it more scare tactic it it's 
you know, the, the way it works is pretty sophisticated. So they will, um, you know, send a piece of malware to your device, usually through a phishing attack. So mm -hmm. it might be an email with, with a, an attachment. And, that, and that's kind of interesting how that's developed. So, you know, we're all used to looking at emails that come through and, you know, inspecting the, a URL or a link to a website. We, yeah. We're kind of almost educated to that point now. So the bad guys are kind of moving away from that. And they're looking at, you know, attachments. So the biggest thing we saw last year, for instance, is the increase in Microsoft attachments. So Word docs, mm -hmm. uh, rich text files with obviously macros enabled. Yep. They then tempt you into opening that document by saying, you know, it's an invoice, it's a, a prize giveaway. Right. You, know, you open that document and then it drops a payload onto the device, right. at which point your files are encrypted. And then you get this lovely message pop up to say, Let's play this game. Give me some money, and I'll give you your files back. Yeah. And at that point, it's anyone's guess as to you know whether they have the the technology to then decrypt those files or whether they're even going to respond to it. So, right. what kind of piece of consumer software would uh, act against those kind of things? So, you know, ransomware is just another type of of malware. So, you know, again, historically, we've heard of terms like you know worms and trojans, and, and mm -hmm. that's that's how we refer to you know some of the older viruses. Ransomware is just another type of that. So, you know, most uh, security suites will detect it using these, you know, layer upon layer of, of detection technologies. Yeah. And that may be something like, uh, you know, detecting the, the, the actual encryption task itself. So, you know, the fact that some files have been encrypted on the drive, we, we would pick up and detect and alert the user to that. Okay. Or more popularly today, it could be around how that uh, piece of ransomware behaves. So again, you know, going back to this notion of not having a, a virus definition library anymore, yeah. we look at you know heuristics and behavior. So how that files, even if we've never seen it before, how does it behave? What type of access does it need to the registry or to the file right, system? Yeah. And we'll you know with a high level of accuracy, you know, convict it or, or let it through. Um, how, so we should pick it up. And then how much is it a case of um, the user still needing to be fairly aware of these kind of threats? Because with the software strip it from their inbox so they never saw it or is there still a level of um, kind of education that they need to in order to be the software says you might not want to open this but if they have an email that says your apple invoice they still might do it anyway exactly and then obviously at that point the the security suite would stop it through through um you know the firewall itself might block okay. it at a network level or mm -hmm. we may look at say the the reputation of that file so we look at you know what domain it's come from if it's, for example, uh, a bank statement, we will look at, you know, have they just pulled the logos from that bank off Google Images or something right, like that? Yeah. So there's a lot more, um, you know, in, involved in detecting it. But as always, you know, the your kind of digital, um, you know, health is, is kind of key here. You need to still be aware the bad guys are out there <laughs> and just think twice before clicking something, opening a doc, you know, responding to an email. You know, phishing attacks are huge at the moment. Yeah. Um, we're seeing things um, like form jacking is, is probably quite a new term to a lot of people. Okay. So that's um, where you might be sent, um, you know, a registration for a um, an, an e-tailer or, a, you know, a holiday or a travel firm, for instance. You'll fill out the form on the website, at which point that's cloned and taken away. And the bad guys have your personal information, credit card details. Right. And if you go on the dark web, these things are traded for very, very little. You know, a couple of credit card numbers with well, the three-digit security just card will one cost user you level pennies. Traded for lots. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you could buy in bulk, you know, a, a thousand credit card numbers on the dark web for, you know, a couple of pounds. It's it's 
it's it's pretty scary. Bargain. Okay, so before we move on, um, aside from just educating oneself and being more aware of these kind of things, mm. are there any other sort of standout pointers you'd give to the general public on how to avoid these kind of things, or is it really more that they won't be able to avoid them? Um, I'd say it, it's kind of just having in the back of your mind, um, like you would with you know the physical world, is just taking a little bit of care, looking at you know what things are coming into your inbox. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. That old <laughs> yeah. mantra is, yeah. is still very relevant. Um, but it, but it's also you know looking at uh, you know the the other things that are maybe out of your control. So we've heard a lot in the press around data breaches. So a third party company has some security vulnerability, or you know they've had um, an attack and lost the consumer's data. Perhaps you need to then be aware that. You know, if you use the same password and uh, email combination to log into your bank as your Gmail, it's not the wisest of things to do. And if it yeah. does, you know, you know, get uh, breached out of your control, then you know that's it's pretty dangerous. So moving on, uh, Gareth, a mm. uh, bit of a, another casual question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> um, if we look uh, at, at software to uh, guard against. Um, digital threats would you say within that security suite there are features that are more important than others or in it? and if not what would you say are the most important to bear in mind um good question i mean i i think most if not all of the features are important in some shape or form you know, and it's yep. really dependent on how you use your device okay you know if i go and talk to my mum at home she'll you know log on to do email she doesn't really do online banking or, or online shopping so there are features that she probably wouldn't need but you know for the majority of us you know i said it's way beyond just antivirus and detection it's you know it's it's security but it's also privacy mm -hmm. so i know obviously the the last episode you guys ran you talked a lot about vpn and that's yeah, now right. you know a crucial pillar for us in protecting your privacy so as we know most people now spend more time accessing the internet on a mobile device or a tablet. You're often out in a you know hotel, airport, coffee shop, connecting yeah. to some free Dodgy public Wi-Fi. Wi <laughs> yeah. You know, again, the risks there are slightly different to an antivirus type solution, where you know a bad guy may be sat in the car park, may pop up a um, you know a, a rogue access point called free hotel wi-fi Makes sense. and then obviously thereafter your data not necessarily you know impacting your device itself right yeah. so, so, I've, where... I, so i've seen stunts like that set up mm. for educational programs or, or, and everything very but easy. it really does actually happen quite yeah. often does it someone just sits in a car park with a little wi-fi router it is remarkably easy to do mm. um you can use it with a you know a, a, a linux distribution and uh, an yeah. extra Wi-Fi card, you can spoof the IP addresses and the um, you know the the, the hardware uh, protocols that the open hotspot uses, and make it look exactly the same. Right. So I mean, that is that is deception in practice. Absolutely. But why would you say that is um, apart from <laughs> everyone's general <laughs> ignorance as to why people d don't necessarily uh, stop and think before they connect to open Wi-Fi in public? I I think there's a level of of trust to some extent, you know, when you are connecting to what is a big brand, yeah, so yeah. coffee shop, hotel, you you would think they've done their their security, but again, a lot of this is out of their hands. Yeah, um, it is very easy to, you know, replicate a captive portal and capture, you know, say in order to access this free Wi-Fi, you need to put in your email address and, mm -hmm. and password, for instance. And that could be down to, they said, replicating the, the login screen you might be used to seeing from your Starbucks exactly. Wi-Fi or, or whatever it is. And, and we're really used to connecting to these using, uh, you know, a shared cloud service. So you can, instead of creating an email and, you know, password combination, you might use your Facebook 
right. credentials yep. or, or Gmail, you know, Google. Yeah, we, um, we've it, touched on this briefly in other episodes. What's your opinion on that? Is that is that a good or bad thing for you to be doing security-wise? From from a you know, if I look at it from a kind of security engineering perspective, Please it's do. it's a little bit scary. Okay, and, right, you yeah. know, especially with everything that's going on at the moment around privacy concerns. You know, it's it's opening you know a lot of uh, opportunities for the bad guys to you know harvest your Facebook credentials from what is a pretty innocuous um, you know portal to access Wi-Fi. And then, yeah. as we know, you know, many many people use the same password and email combination across all their different you know cloud services and right. emails it uh, it's very easy for them them to get into you know your email reset yeah. the passwords i'm it, certainly it guilty, a lot guilty of, of that in the past and something i noticed on uh, apple's recent uh, keynote that they had at their developer conference mm. apple is now introducing not yet but their own sign in with apple and they claim that they are creating a completely unique randomized email address and password should you request it on the back end hmm. when they do that is that a good thing to be doing oh absolutely so so anything that adds a layer of protection so you know we're probably all familiar with two-factor authentication now yes. it, yep. it happens a lot with um you know uh, with with ebay and, and paypal and so on and so forth and i would say wherever there is an opportunity to use it use it it, it just adds that extra layer of protection because mm. you have you know your credentials your email your password but you also have the device in your hand usually a smartphone that can yeah. just generate a pin or, or mm -hmm. you know you approve to sign in and that just makes it a little bit more difficult for the guys to uh, to try and get obviously you know we've heard stories whereby they can you know hijack sms messages for for you know two-factor authentication yeah. but that is getting into the realms of you know pretty sophisticated stuff uh, so one thing i was sort of wondering is um thinking about the ways that a lot of consumers will think about this and honestly the way i personally think about this uh when you're looking at what you get inside of the sort of features you get in a security mm. suite, you're thinking, you know, a sort of basic virus scanner, firewall, um, sort of an email filterer, email filterer, email filter, <laughs> uh, maybe a VPN, stuff like that. I look at that and I think a lot of that stuff is the stuff I maybe already have for free. Like Windows has a firewall mm -hmm. and virus stuff built in. Um, I use Gmail, which is in theory scanning my emails to check, you know, <laughs> the, that that's trying to filter out malware and attachments and stuff like that. Um, why why should I be thinking oh the Gmail security is not going to be good enough or the the built-in Windows firewall isn't going to be good enough? I, I don't think it's necessarily about comparing it. Is it good enough? I think you know certainly from an ease of use perspective, it's having everything in in a single subscription right. and, and a single way to manage all those devices. You know, right. it goes way beyond just you know security now. So you know, I have kids. I want to make sure that they're doing the right things on the web. I want to know where they're going, what they're browsing, what videos they're watching. So an element of you know parental controls is important for me as well you know that's again just another tool in the in the box that comes with a security suite you know cloud backup is also another one you know you could have a service from from dropbox or onedrive or you know whoever and you know again that's just another subscription to have to go and manage and when we just talked about ransomware and things like that you know having your kind of key memories backed up is is kind of crucial but again being able to manage that through a single subscription is, I mean, said to me, very important. Yeah, totally. If you're if you're paying for an entire family to have it, and like you say, the number of devices people mm. are using on a daily basis. If a, maybe it is true to an extent what Dom said about Windows having its own stuff, but at a single device level, it's much harder to manage. Exactly, and you know, when you talk about you know all these kind of standalone products, again, you need to think about the brand. You know, there are hundreds of VPN providers, for instance, yeah. right? Who do you trust? Do you pick the cheapest? What are they, you know, we've heard yeah. in the press, right? What do they do with your data? Is it truly anonymous? There, there are a lot of risks. There. So, you know, I, you go with the brand. 
and you know having a, a single solution that delivers everything just takes a little bit of that kind of risk out of it as well. So kind of on that note from uh, what Don was talking about as well, uh, we ran a survey before mm-hmm. this episode uh, to our readers and some of the interesting findings, um, I mean, some of the things, that they, they sound a bit insane, but maybe I would agree with it, uh, thinking about it and what I actually do rather than my own practices. Mm-hmm. 43% of respondents uh, told us that they wouldn't pay extra for a firewall or a password manager. And we were wondering if you thought that was right or wrong. I mean, with many of these like security suites that are out there, there is a firewall component. There is a password manager component effectively for free anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, it's down to how you use it. The, you know, the, the Windows firewall is adequate for, for most things. You know, we, when we talk about comparing firewalls, for instance, we look at um, intrusion prevention, intrusion detection, the more advanced features of a firewall. So not mm-hmm. just looking at inbound traffic, outbound traffic, right. you know, looking a little bit deeper than that. So again, it depends on your level of um, you know, wariness or concern for, for what you're doing. And then, you know, password managers, again, it depends on the level of features you require from that. So, you know, you can get a password manager for free. It's then, you know, do you want that password manager to automatically populate the websites you visit? Mm-hmm. Do you want that to synchronize across your devices? You know, I have a yeah. password manager on my phone. If I'm accessing, you know, let's say Facebook or something from in a, a public cafe, um, I also want it to synchronize across to my laptop when I get home. I don't want to have to put the same password combination in and, totally. and save it. Right. And, you know, when we talk about password managers, you know, the safest and, and most secure thing to do is have that generate the password for you. Make yep. it super complex. Let it take the the kind of heavy lifting out of the, of the security. And of course, you don't want to then have to copy and paste that across to your other devices. So, you know, having a level of synchronization across is, again, another feature that might not necessarily be there in a free product. And it always depends on what else you use. I mean, I've, I've been made fun of on, on this series already for the fact <laughs> that I'm so deeply embedded in the Google ecosystem mm. that I can happily use the Chrome password manager, which is free, and it syncs across everything because I just everything I use, Google is there somewhere. Is that, is that a good but, thing to do? Oh, I, I mean, it, it, <laughs> if you can have something that uh, is, is tied into, you know, what is a very popular, again, big brand yep. ecosystem, um, you know, there's a lot of um, research that goes behind some of these companies. It's probably the, you know, I'd be more wary of the smaller companies that pop up with a free app. For sure. Um, yeah, you know, certainly without doing some research yep. first anyway. This episode of Digital Defenders is sponsored by Norton. As you've learned, it's about more than antivirus when it comes to digital safety. And the Norton 360 security suite is a great place to start. It offers four tiers of annual protection from just $29.99 with options that cover up to 10 devices. Rather than make you pick and choose from a confusing list, Norton 360 provides features like cloud backup, password manager and a secure VPN as part of the asking price. No add-ons and no extra fees. Norton 360 works across PC, Mac, smartphone and tablet because yes, even that Apple device you have needs it just as much as that Windows PC does. So visit Norton via the link in the description to check out the plans and immediately improve your digital safety. Okay, so hopefully that's a little bit clearer now about not calling things antivirus and not necessarily trusting free software and the reasons behind paying for a specific digital safety package. So one of the last things we wanted to talk to Gareth about was the number of devices we all have and do all of them need, uh, well, I'm going to say antivirus, even though it's (laughs) incorrect, and security software, uh, because our survey did find, uh, in particular, this conversation is based around Apple products and this excellent marketing thing that they have where you don't need it. Mm. Uh, it, It's, again, kind of comes back to that education topic, right? Yeah. The bad guys out there, as we said earlier, are going to where the money is. 
mm-hmm. and we're seeing you know an increased um, attack surface on mobile devices, whether that be Apple or or Android. Yeah. Um, you know, we're even seeing uh, a huge increase in variants of ransomware. We've already talked about targeting a mobile device. Okay. And bear in mind as well, you know, the phone you have in your pocket or the tablet is just well, actually, it's a very powerful computing device, right? So. When we talk around, you know, uh, cryptocurrency mining, that that's been pretty uh, pretty yeah. big over the past uh, couple of years, even although it's made a, a bit of a resurgence in the last twelve months. You know, that device has a lot of compute power that someone could use to mine Bitcoin right, right. Or, or another cryptocurrency um, without you knowing. So it's not necessarily malicious. It's not. You, know, you may not even realize it, it's advice. happening. You may not even realize yeah. it's happening. You might just be visiting a website that has a script running on it. Yeah. But it uses your device's resources to then mine you know, monetize for someone else. Yep. So that, that's that's kind of one thing to bear in mind. But of course, you know, we, we talk about the Windows PC a lot, which is obviously probably 90% of, of most viruses targeted at the Windows PC. But there are growing and growing numbers of uh, bits of malware, ransomware, you know, all these other bits of grayware, let's call it, right, um, yeah. targeted at the mobile devices. So you need to still be very careful with, you know, your Apple and, and Google devices, you know, especially if you're jailbroken or root, you know, yep, rooted, right. yeah, you yeah. know, you're kind of losing that, um, you know, vendor provided levels of security, you know, making sure that when you see that little notification to say there's a new OS update, install it because yep. it's likely to be a security patch in there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's also an interesting brief tangent on looking at android phones it's not so much of an issue on ios but different android phone manufacturers deliver the security updates at different mm. rates and are, are you know depending on how up to date they are with their own updates and with google's os updates so that's also something to consider when you're buying a phone is does that brand have a reputation yeah, for a delivering good... the security patches really quickly mm. that's a good point actually because it's something that um because we review a lot of android phones and we're sort of classed as nerds so <laughs> when i talk to my friends about oh you've got a little icon in the top corner there you should be updating your software and it's like oh no i don't want it to change because a lot of people have that thing about mainly iphone users when they update an I- ios thing and it, it changes like when people moan when the facebook layout changes and they don't want something to change but i was very surprised about how many of my friends are just like, oh i never do the security updates what's the point but in fact, they, they're very yeah. important mm-hmm. reason. Definitely should. <laughs> it, it's, it's also worth, you know, looking at the, the app stores, right? So yep. there are right. millions yeah. and millions of apps on, on Google Play and, and on the Apple Store. There are a lot of those are what I would class as grayware. So, you know, you'd think, let's say a Torch app, for instance, very basic. You press a button, it lights up the LED. But if you look at the permissions that a lot yep. of these apps right. ask for, it's contacts, yeah. Wi-Fi hotspots, <laughs> access to your photo reel, you yep. know, way, way far advanced from what they actually demand so that's another thing to bear in mind while it might not necessarily be security you know privacy is a big part of this so where is that data going you know what are they doing with it are am i going to get fed ads if it's a free product are they going to harvest my data for some you know marketing campaigns mm-hmm. um and that's where you know a lot of the mobile products while they might not necessarily seem security so there's no you know necessarily antivirus scanning as such you know we need to think about the other concepts so privacy anonymity you know you're out and about VPN is a core component for, for yep. a mobile device, right? So it goes, you know, right into this having a, a multi-device suite that covers all these devices. If you've got entitlement, then use it. Yep. And when we're talking about permissions as well on, on both uh, mobile platforms, uh, is there software that actively sort of maybe informs the user that you might not want to allow that permission for that particular app? Because at the moment, I mean, as we were, again, we were talking about different Android uh, phones, um, Google's own software makes it quite easy to go in granularly mm. and, and take out the permissions. But mm-hmm. some phones make it quite difficult. 
Yeah, I mean, so so we have a product, for instance, as as part of the the security suite um, called App Advisor. So you know, a lot of companies have these overlays that when you access right. a, a store, it will pop up and do a little bit of analysis okay. before the app is installed on the device. Okay. So obviously, if it's a malicious app, by the time it's hit the device, it's, <laughs> it's probably, probably too late. late. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you know, we for instance would look at that um, listing on the App Store, scan it, look at the privacy settings battery drain yep. you know all, all the telltale kind of signs. you know the telltale signs of it being you know, gray where it might not be necessarily malicious mm -hmm. but you'd certainly need to be aware and again it's just informing the user letting them make the choice so we're not going to block an app per se yep. but we'll make the user have enough information to say actually i might not want to download that yeah. the risks far outweigh the benefit of you know lighting up the torch yeah <laughs> totally and just uh going back i guess to that core sort of apple question because yeah from our survey what we found one of the recurring themes looking through people's answers was a lot of people when asked if if they don't use a security suite sort of why is it that they don't or what would persuade them to and lots of people basically answered on the lines of i don't use it because i use an iphone or, i don't use it because i use a mac or i would use it if macs became vulnerable as if they're not already <laughs> uh, and, i mean we've already seen at the moment just recently apple's had to pull some bundled in software because it was uh, a security threat uh, and I've, on the Tech Advisor YouTube channel, we've got a video on, I think it's something like, uh, does my iPhone have a virus or how to tell if your iPhone has a virus? And I can tell you from reading the comments on that video every day, <laughs> lots of people own iPhones and have viruses on those iPhones. If you own an iPhone, you could have a virus. Absolutely. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting topic, you know, how many people assume a MacBook or, or an iPhone is completely bulletproof? You know, yep. we still do things on those devices that would put our, put us at risk. You know, phishing emails. You know, although it's yep. on a you know it's on a smaller screen, it's actually a lot more difficult to you know look at a URL. You know, a lot of these mobile devices will automatically shorten and make a, a URL a little bit more friendly to click on. Whereas on a PC, you may be used to you know hovering the mouse over it, seeing really is yeah. there you know is there a spelling yeah. mistake or a typo in there? Is it you know am I seeing the symptoms, you know, the warning signs of it being a phishing attempt? very difficult on a you know five or six inch screen to do that so you know the risks are absolutely still there you know and we see through through a lot of our telemetry there are targeted attacks on Macs. you know there was a a, a ransomware variant called key ranger last year or the year before mm -hmm. specifically targeted at the mac operating system so you know no device is completely you know invulnerable yeah and in fact also just another note to the one survey commenter who also said <laughs> that they feel safe because they run linux uh, you're probably getting targeted less than everyone else, but still, please get some some security software. <laughs> and the final thing um, I just wanted to ask you before we wrap up is, do you personally, can you put a price, an actual pounds and dollars price on what people, people should be paying for this software? Not not like, you know, <laughs> people's data. Yeah. But is there like a, because people, again, I, I, our survey showed that people just don't want to pay for it. it. It's it's one of those things where you need to really get a grasp of the value you're getting out of one of these products. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of think of it as, you know, like many of the products, if I'm paying the price of a cup of coffee a week or something, or, or even a cup of coffee a day, yeah. Yeah. right, That that's kind of worth it in the grand scheme of things. And when you look at, you know, say protecting the device, your privacy, so obviously a VPN alone, you probably see standalone products that are almost probably up to a hundred pounds, right? For, yeah. for an annual subscription to totally. a VPN alone. So paying, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 for a complete suite actually offers pretty good value for money. And they often go across multiple devices for an entire family. Exactly. You know, you can get uh, protection for, you know, now for 10 or 20 devices or with, you know, parental controls, with data backup, all the, the stuff we just talked about 
for you know what is a you know when you compare it to a daily cost it's actually pretty low so those are the takeaways everyone uh it's not called antivirus it's <laughs> called digital safety because it's a big catch-all about what you should be protecting with all your devices and i'm afraid you're gonna have to pay for it sorry uh this macbook probably needs some <laughs> some <laughs> software does. on it now doesn't it um gareth thank you very much for being a pleasure here. Yeah, love thanks, to be here. Uh, thanks for watching everyone and this has been the third episode of digital defenders uh, see you next time cheers